1: Welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann. And with me today, as usual, is Rich. Hello, Rich. What's going on? Not a whole lot. We're uh, in the midst of All-Star Weekend and uh, celebrating, you know, getting our all-star groove on, so to speak. That's a thing.
2: Yeah. Uh, What's really cool about this week, you know, being the All Star week as well, is is undoubtedly, um, I am the most famous person you have talked to this entire week (laughs) on a podcast. So that is uh, that's always really important to me. Uh, Yeah. And I have the most All Star NBA All Star appearances of anybody you've talked to this week either. Absolutely, uh, on this podcast. So, <laughs> and yet
1: you're not duly recognized historically for this no, achievement, Rich. It, which you're is right. Like, everybody's yeah. like
2: makes big, a big deal about Dr. J, Julius Irving, and like, oh, he was on your podcast, and all that's really cool. Which is, it was awesome, by the way. But, um, yeah. But what about me? I mean, I was uh, a three time All Star back in the '90s, and nobody, you know, yeah, think about me. So. Yeah,
1: that's weird. You don't come from, on Basketball <laughs> Reference for some reason, but maybe nobody can spot.
2: I am Isaiah Ryder, In case uh, did Isaiah Ryder make three All Star games? I don't think that's, that's no. Possible, I don't think but. it's possible. But <laughs> let I, me look at if Isaiah I, Ryder. Made three All-Star uh, games. He uh, made no All-Star games. I'm so yeah. not Isaiah Rider. No. I am. Um, I guess I can look at our list of guys that we have. I am. Um. Oh geez, Does anybody here
1: three. I don't know. If, I think everybody has yeah, about you don't three. Me, three's so. here.
2: Yeah, these guys. are... I can't say how many of these guys. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not Tim Hardaway or, or Sean Kemp, so I can't. I, can't I don't not, I Yeah. Am, so, but you know,
1: I, I just figured that nobody could spell your last name. That was the issue with. Uh, right. Well, so they just, yeah, yeah, they just I, exactly. be on there. It's weird. it's weird. Weird. But anyway, we are talking about uh, players that we feel are you know were recognized for many or several All Star appearances during their days, and yet they are not. Not necessarily quite as well remembered uh, today. This is very subjective, so if you feel like, hey, that guy's not overlooked, then okay, then that's fine. You you're, you could be right about it. But it's just an excuse to talk about uh, players that we have not had a chance to talk a whole lot about on our show, so I just figured this would be a fun way to do that. Is
2: that okay with you, Rich? Uh, that is okay, yes. Right. And uh, I think I've come up with Ziljunas Ogowskis is my uh, my spirit animal or something, I guess. Oh, so, there, there you go. go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, equally hard to spell names, so... I am also seven feet tall, so right, that's yeah. perfect. So, it, it's, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> I also that's tried fun. to ring chase with the Miami Heat, and it didn't work. And and it didn't it just work, got rid of me, unfortunately. And then, yeah. Yeah. then won other titles once I left, but... You right. Know, right. It it happens. Exactly, it happens.
1: <laughs> so I... So our first category is players... Um, made a list of players who have five or more all-star appearances and have a career a PR of 21 or above. And there are 47... Um, names on this list and uh, i i think five of them stand out as like oh might be a little bit of a surprise in this list either they're not you know they're older players who aren't really historically well recognized maybe they haven't gotten the kind of uh merits that you have but obviously you know most of this list are some of the all-time greats that you know we've talked about here and there on the show and a few of them are not so uh the f- the first is larry faust who was a eight-time all-star played from 1951 to 62 he averaged 13.7 points per game 9.8 rebounds per game uh, this of course most of his career or at least you know, the first half of his career was spent in a slower you know um no shot clock era so the those uh, per game numbers may be a little bit depressed by you know the low possession uh, times. Of course, it got higher possession later, but then he was not. He was more of a reserve player by then, so didn't really benefit from that too much. Um, he is best known for being the best player on two Fort Wayne Piston finals teams in '55 and '56. They lost both times, along with George Yardley and Andy Phillip. Um, he also played for the Minneapolis Lakers and the St. Louis Hawks. You may have noticed that all three of those teams are not. Uh, in their current city anymore or are in different cities now currently than they were then. So uh, they don't necessarily have the incentive to preserve his legacy. I think the most interesting thing about him is that he has the highest Hall of Fame probability, according to basketball reference, for someone who is is eligible and is not in. He is 94% Hall of Fame probability, but he is not in the Hall of Fame. I I would argue, you know, maybe the biggest uh, Hall of Fame oversight. Kind of a fascinating um, uh, how he has hasn't gotten in you know based on those achievements is uh is somewhat
2: odd yeah you're you're definitely right it could be you know people are maybe looking too much at the per game numbers and looking at his stats and going, ah, you know, that's not too much there, but yeah, like you said, it, it's obviously a depressed scoring environment that he's in. And, and I think you look no further than, you know, leading the league twice in win shares per 48. You look at his win shares per 48, even in the uh, seasons that he didn't lead the league. I mean, he was still way up there the entire time. Um, you know, three super dominant seasons, you know, he's all NBA first team once all NBA second team twice or, or, or all NBA second team one time as, as well. Uh, six seasons, he was top 10 in, in PR as well. So, I mean, you look at it, the resume is awesome for, for like Faust fast and and like yeah the only thing that you really look at is like oh 13 points per game that's not a whole lot and it's like well and then it was like that's kind of a big deal then so uh yeah he's really shocking that he's not in the hall of fame i i i would not have guessed that he would be on the outs i i just i I guess for whatever reason we just never really uh shine any light on that so that's it's super interesting
1: yeah, and he was also on. You know, he made he made three finals toward the end of his career 59, uh, 60, and sixty one with the Lakers and the uh, Hawks. Uh, they lost all those times as well. So he never got his championship. Um, but he, he was more like I said a reserve player by then, but still important to the team. And you know, you, you think a guy who made six finals in the uh, basically within the decade, you know, would, would would merit that? A lot of other guys who have had that, that kind of record have, but for whatever reason, he's been um, overlooked. So it's um, it's. Interesting. Yeah, um, Curtis Harris wrote, um, you know, uh, during his heyday, he had the fourth most win cheers for center. And of the top six players in the list, which are George Mikan, Neil Johnson, who we're going to talk about in a moment, Ed McCauley, Arnie Ryzen, and and Clyde LeVellette. He is the only one not in the Hall of Fame. So interesting stuff.
2: Yeah. Boo. Boo.
1: (laughs) Get him in there. Uh, so next, uh, a seven-time All Star, he is in the Hall of Fame. Was inducted in 2014, Alonzo Mourning, and you know the reason that I picked him, and maybe he's not the best choice for this list, but I I think of him as playing so long as more of a defensive big man um before he had you know the um, the the kidney ailment that you know kind of you know took him out of the league for a while and then you know he was kind of in and out for a while and then you know was more of a defensive big man for the you know the the Shaq Miami heat teams that you know it, it, it's sort of a sense of you know the early part of his career where he was you know this really dominant force on both sides of the ball is not quite as well remembered
2: yeah it, it's interesting the kind of the optics of, of morning too and i think more than just you know the style of play, which he obviously did become a slower player and became more of a defensive guy too. But I think the optics of playing on that Miami Heat team and being, you know, in that Miami New York rivalry, which was these just knockout drag out games that aren't known for their scoring but are known for, you know, shoving and physical and you know this sort of all this sort of stuff. That it kind of clouds our memory of Alonzo Mourning because Alonzo Mourning was an awesome, awesome player and a, a dynamic player too. Which actually kind of uh, I ran the numbers uh, pre kidney ail- ailment. Uh, Alonzo Mourning, his closest comp statistically, and this is using his thirty six numbers which are uh, 21.3 points per 36, 10.2 rebounds per 36, uh, 1.5 assists per 36, and 3.2 blocks per 36. So here are the comps using those pre-ailment uh, you know, numbers for Alonzo for Mourning. is Akeem Olajuwon, Kriyam Dojabar, and David Robinson. Like, that's what he was before. And then he became so much, and, and I think we're, we remember so much of the, the post-kidney morning as well that we we kind of forget that this guy was so dynamic and that he was all over the court and what was just a real i mean you you go watch the old highlights of him as a power forward the things he was able to do in the athleticism he showed was was remarkable and, and and still a great defender too he he didn't like you know he didn't just gain that later in life he was a great defender and as well as a great offensive player, and then of course with with uh, Miami and New Jersey and he, he, that kind of went away. But still, yeah, I don't know if, if he quite get uh, quite gets his due that he deserves.
1: Yeah, I mean, he has a better career PER and Winchers shares per forty eight than Patrick Ewing. I mean, just 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 slightly better, but uh, and in you know many fewer minutes. But um, you know, so you know he's he's kind of at that level even you know in his career um you know he, even for his career even you know considering the decline years seventeen point one points per game eight point. Five rebounds per game 2.8 blocks per game so you know a a, a big force you know three seasons top 10 in per um so yeah i mean he was definitely a, a you know a, a great player who you know led some is some pretty good and interesting charlotte and um and miami teams you know before the uh you know before the kidney illness so next, uh, Harry Gallatin, the horse, uh, seven-time All-Star, played for the Knicks from 1949 to 1958. Uh, averaged 13 points per game, 11.9 rebounds per game, and he did that as a forward, um, uh, playing both you know a small forward and power forward. The positions were not quite as delineated then as they are uh, today. But despite his lack of size, he you know was a great rebounder, led the league in rebounding in '54, a two-time All-NBA player, and he never missed a game in his 10-year playing. Career. Career, um, so uh, obviously you know, known as the Iron Man, and you know helped the Knicks to the finals three straight years from fifty-one to fifty-three, along with guys like Nat Clifton, uh, Max Azlofsky, and uh, Dick McGuire. Um, you know, he was probably the certainly the most steady player during those uh, during those years for that team. Absolutely. And he also had um, six top ten seasons in per fourth and Winters were forty eight and seven uh, times top ten in interesting position. I mean, honestly, you probably one of the you, you could make a case for him being one of the top five Nick players in Nick's history. I mean, I think he has <laughs> yeah, that, that good of a you know, track record. I mean, obviously, you're looking at guys, you know, the for the seventies uh, teams and Patrick Ewing, and you, know, you could consider Carmelo in that conversation. You know, maybe, maybe a couple others, but I think he's, uh, you know, he, he's got a, a pretty awesome uh, track record. Uh, you know all things considered. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And then the seven All-Star games certainly helped that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So help approve uh, it. Uh,
1: so another guy um who yeah, I I don't know how people are going to feel about this being on the on the list, but I uh, I thought he's deserving is Amari Stoudemire, a six-time All-Star, played from uh, 2003 to 2016. Uh, another guy who you know faded from the game when he was relatively young i mean he was really done as a um you know a lead offensive force around age 31 or so um you know he had about a decade or eight or nine years really at that level um you know pre-injury with the Knicks when that you know he really um derailed but um you know, four times all NBA second team, just, you know, uh, as we mentioned, an, an impressive offensive force, three seasons in the top three in true shooting percentage, five years in the top seven in true shooting percentage. And, you know, I mean, he was a guy, you know, could certainly, you know, finish on in the, uh, you know, catch and shooting and, and that could... Or, he could like you know he could finish alley oops and things like that. I mean he was getting good shots from Steve Nash, but you know he was also you know um, making mid range jumpers and he had a versatile offensive game. And I think he was really a key part of what made seven seconds or less work. I mean obviously Nash was orchestrating it. They had good shooters. They had you know do it all guy like Sean Marion. But I think Amari is maybe a little bit overlooked in terms of you know what he
2: contributed to that team. Absolutely, he, he added a force inside too and, and and in those pick and rolls because yeah, you couldn't sag off on a pick and roll or else he was gonna dunk it on you. And if you went too deep into a pick and roll or whatever, Nash would just, you know, drain a three on you or pass to Marion or do that. I mean, he's absolutely a big part of what made that work. And you know, people look at and and, and again unfairly, you know, the year he was out and, and Boris Diaw kind of slides in and and they do just as well and everybody goes, Oh geez, well Amari and it's like, well no Boris Diao is also very good, too. Like that's it's you know, it says more about Boris Dio than it does about Amari Stoudemire or anything. And I think one of the key parts of that too is is look at what Amari did when he went to New York. I mean, that first year in New York, he was awesome. He was like a revelation of like, Oh man, this is what a Mark Stoudemire can do when he's on his own. And then the Knicks kind of nicked everything. And you know, Mike Woodson came in and then Carmelo came and just the whole thing kind of fell apart after that. But I mean, yeah, he, he had a really, uh, you you know, solid thing going in New York for a while too. So it's not just, he was not just completely a byproduct of Steve Nash, which unfortunately I think he is kind of painted as a a little bit in Phoenix where no, it, it was, you know, he was a legitimately great player. Um, for, for you know quite a few years, but as you said, the injuries kind of got to him, and he was just kind of done in the league. And, and as we know, he's kind of got other interests as well. He's got things that he likes, uh, uh, you know, outside of basketball. And I think that probably played into the you know him not hanging around as long as he did, and just kind of going, ah, you know what, ah, I'm done. <laughs> like because you know a lot of times guys don't do that. Guys you know will always want to chase that dream or whatever. And he was able to kind of let it go uh, pretty quickly. But no, he definitely. I, I I think you know we're still kind of new into the post Amari Stoudemire you know world or whatever. But I, I just don't I don't know that he gets his his, his do or is due credit. So I, I think I think he belongs on this list for sure. I,
1: I mean, I feel like he might be a guy who's in danger of being, you know, forgotten, you know, what like, kind of force like he was. Like the other guys we're going to talk about uh, here as well as just a guy who, you know, was so good for like seven or eight years and then just faded because of injuries. And, you know, I, I feel like in, in 10 years, maybe he's a guy who's like not quite as, you know, um, credit for some of the things that he did and yeah. credit for being part of that seven seconds or less um, thing. I mean, that's obviously... Yeah, because he,
2: he's not going to be like I think a comp that I always thought of with Mario and, and I wonder is like people, Sean Kemp these days, people still love, you know, Oh my God, Sean Kemp was amazing and he was awesome or whatever. And he followed a very, you know, clip, <laughs> similar career trajectory where he just got bad. We'll talk about him in a little bit where, uh you know, I think people kind of re- really think, you know, very highly of Sean Kemp these days is, Oh my God, look how dynamic he was. Look all that. I, you know, in 10 years, I don't know that people are going to be saying the same things they say about Sean Kemp. Now that they, you know, they'll be saying that about Amari Stoudemire. I just, I, I, I i'd be shocked if they did actually
1: yeah um uh, definitely um So next is um, Neil Johnston, uh, from, who played from 52-59, uh, six-time All-Star. Nickname was Old Hoss, which is a good 50s nickname for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Uh, 19.4 points per game, 11.3 rebounds per game. He has a better career PR than Kareem, Duncan, Magic, Irving, Akeem, and Bird. Now, So he's the greatest of all time. You're, <laughs> yes. so you're
2: obviously saying here right now on this podcast that Neil Johnston is the greatest player in NBA. Uh, that, I hear it.
1: That, that is what I am uh, yeah. c- <laughs> Concluding, absolutely, but obviously, you know, like you said, per it has its strengths and weaknesses as a as a stat. But I, I do think um, it does show like wow, that's some amazing production from him. Um, he was five time All NBA, three times he led the NBA in points per game. He led the NBA both in points and rebounds per game, in fifty-five, and he had five seasons where he was first or second in PER. Four times leading the league in winters of forty-eight, and six times was in the top six in both categories. So you know those advanced metrics that you know we talk about—the ones that we have—we don't have the you know the box plus-minus and stuff from the fifties, but the ones that you know are kind of our best guide as to. Um, you know, um, showing how they played, he was just dominant in the league. You know, from those particularly after you know Mike and was gone in in '54. Um, however, his team was generally not very good. Um, they had one of his best years; the team was absolutely awful. It's looks like everyone around him was really um, poor. That was when uh, Paul Arizon was away from um, with the Marines. So when once he came back, they were better. And then you know they both led the Warriors to the 56 titles. So he did have some success in his career, but it was not like I mean, if you look at how he produced and. how how um, you, you know you look at the effective play, you would think you know you, you could compare his stats to George Mikens and you, you would not necessarily be sure who was and who was Neil Johnson. He was that good, but he had nowhere near the team success that Mikan did. And of course, Mikan had um, you know other great you know Vern Mickelson and um, you know other guys uh, Slater Martin. Um, and uh i'm forgetting the other uh important player that for that dynasty it'll kill me that i forgot. forgotten but either way you know he's some of the great players that played for the minneapolis lakers um jim pollard uh that were um you know the um and johnson for the most part didn't you know, had some good players but uh you know outside 56 didn't really have the you know the same level of talent around him sure yep so some of our overlooked favorites um anyone here who stands out to you on uh, the list that I uh, made here, we don't have to go Norbin, go with whoever you want to go with first. Yeah, Richard.
2: I think one guy that we've talked about a lot on the show, Jack Sikma, is a guy who just doesn't really get his due. Another, you know, huge Hall of Fame oversight. We talked about him in the uh, 50 Greatest Players, uh, uh, you know, top 50 greatest players thing that we did uh, last summer, but uh, or two summers ago rather. Jeez, God, we're getting old, but <laughs> that's good, Lord. Was that two years ago? God. But uh, Jack Sikma was a guy you look at his numbers, and it, it, really good player all around, like a really, uh, you know, good passing big man, good outside shooter, a nice blend of of scoring, rebounds and assists, uh, finals appearances, you know, a title, uh, you know, top you know, seasons in, in, in rebounds and rebound percentages and, you know, seasons, you know, near the top of the league and, and, and value over replacement players as well. I mean, just a guy who really, you know, has been kind of lost a little bit in time, but a uh, really awesome player overall. And I, I feel like just definitely a guy that doesn't doesn't quite get his due.
1: Yeah, th- that assist number, I mean, 15.6 points per game, nine point rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game for a big man. Now, you know, we've, um, I think we've talked a little bit. I, I think we have maybe even planning to talk in the future about how, you know, it, particularly in the 70s, passing big men were a little bit more involved than they um were for a while and, and maybe becoming again but uh you know those are some pretty good numbers he obviously was a good outside shooter um and yeah it really does seem like an odd hall of fame oversight i may, it may be something where you know he was so good right away and kind of peaked a little bit early um you know he obviously led the sonics to the uh finals appearances of rookie in 78 and then title in 79 and then you know magic johnson comes along and the in the lakers the dominant force in the west after that but um so maybe there's just a, a sense he didn't quite do enough, but um again he's up there in you know with, with um oh, Luther Faust in terms of, you know, the most overlooked Hall of Famers so another guy who's uh on this list uh alex english eight-time all-star from 77 to uh 91 um another guy who surprised me a little bit with um the the versatility 21.5 points per game 5.5 rebounds 3.6 assists per game you know for a forward that's uh, pretty strong i you know, those are you know I, I, again i i think of alex english as primarily a guy who was just you know a really great scorer. he's scored the right. most points yeah. in the 80s um and you know as part of those you know High-powered Denver Nuggets teams. Obviously, some of those points are—you um, know—they were a fast-paced team, so the, you know more possessions and all of that. But still, an impressive—you know—given all the great scores that in, in the '80s during the decade, it's still certainly a, a great achievement. Um, and he was the seventh-leading scorer ever when he retired, which was um, kind of surprised me. You know um, that he was he was that high in um, in points ever in league history. He's, he's still in the top 20, but um, but but seventh—you know—all time is is quite uh, remarkable. I think.
2: Yeah, another guy, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, six-time All Star here. W- one of the stuff I really loved about him is that you, you know he had a run of six straight All Star games uh, in, in the mid two thousands, and you know you look at those numbers, and, and this is kind of his, his normal per game numbers: twenty point four points per game, nine point nine rebounds per game, and two point one assists per game. So they have very few comps. Here are the all the guys, uh, or at least a, a sampling of the guys. There's there's a few others, but basically you'll get the idea from the names that I mentioned. Here's guys that have had those numbers throughout their entire career: Shaquille O'Neal. David Robinson, Karl Malone, Charles Barkley, Hakeem Olajuwon, Larry Bird, Kareem Olajuwon, Wilt Chamberlain, you Know Billy Cunningham, so on and so on. very good players, you know. But you know, Jermaine, you know, of course, because he had the beginning of his career, which was you know him on the bench of a really veteran laden, good Portland team and just not able to really do much. And, and a guy who probably wasn't ready at that point either because he was coming out of high school and he was he was largely known, I think he was the youngest player of all time to play. I think he was 17 or something like that when he got in his first game. Uh, but yeah, a guy that just you know, it took him a long time to kind of get going, but once he got going, it was great. And then you know, it, it ended kind of quickly as well because. He had some injury issues in Indiana and, and, and stuff like that and, and, you know, moved on to a few different stops, Miami and, and place like that. I think um, he was in Toronto, I think, for one year, some some odd numbers like that. But, uh, yeah, a guy that, again, you look at those numbers of, of his prime and his prime is, is is fantastic. You know, he's three time he was all in base, second or third team. He was third in MVP uh, in 2004. Um I wonder, though, and, and and the big thing with him is, is the Malice in the Palace. And, and one thing I always look at with that team, uh, particularly, you know, that season, that team, all of that stuff, is that that Indiana team, if you really look, I mean, talent-wise, they were there. And they had been slowly building up to a point where you all – everybody kind of looked at that year of like, all right, this is the year Indiana finally makes a decent run you know, into the, the I don't know I'm not saying they're gonna win the finals, I'm not saying they're gonna make it to the finals, but a decent long run in the Easter Conference and the Mouse in the Palace happens and that whole team gets broken up and it's just a kind of a mess. I do wonder if if our idea of Jermaine O'Neal and, and what we think of Jermaine O'Neal does change a little bit if that team makes an Easter Conference final run or or even makes it to the NBA Finals, uh, what we would sort of think about Jermaine O'Neal, but still a six time All-Star and doing those in a row, six straight All-Star games, yet I, I just I don't know. We just kind of shrug Jermaine O'Neal off in a lot of ways. Yeah,
1: I did an interview with – uh, with Ben Gibson of eight points nine seconds for the day to day podcast, and you was talking about how you know there's still kind of the you know, some of the fan base for whatever reason you know uh, hasn't really embraced Jermaine O'Neal, you know because of that malice in the palace thing, and, and there hasn't necessarily been the relationship with the team. You know he was not um, you know, they've been doing a a, a thing honoring you know, the players of each decade. He was not chosen as the player of the two thousands, even though he's the most you know obvious candidate for that. You know he was the most accomplished player of that. Um, uh, of that decade so um, yeah I mean the, the, he doesn't necessarily have anybody who's you know pushing for his legacy and you know outside of that six year peak um, he, you know his his number his career numbers are you know reasonably pedestrian um, as you mentioned I, I think you know looking back on it he probably could have done more in those first you know three or four seasons with the blazers i mean maybe he wasn't ready as a rookie but probably in a second or third year you know most of those guys with that level of talent you know and the fact that he got to the point that he got he might have been able to be productive sooner but um so that kind of holds him down obviously the later part of his career as well i mean he played for a a really long time you know 97 through, through 2014 so um and the reason the guys that you talk about, you know, are special because they do that for their entire career, not just for their top six or seven seasons. Of course. But, yeah, yeah. But, but yes, but it is. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously I, I think that's a higher level than just thinking, oh, yeah, how good was Jermaine O'Neal? Like I think of him as kind of like, yeah, you know, so, a borderline all star sometimes and a mid-level guy. But um, at his best you know, for those six years, he was, you know, among the better big men in the league. And yeah, third in MVP for a season. That's that says a lot right there. So uh, next I have uh, – we have Walter Davis, six-time All-Star with the Phoenix Suns, played from 78 to 92, was known as uh, Greyhound or Sweet D and um, you know was one of the top shooting guards, small forwards of his uh, time. Not too dissimilar to Reggie Miller in terms of you know, kind of some of his production and his accomplishments but not the longevity that he obviously had um 18.9 points per game 3 rebounds per game 3.8 assists per game he had 3 top 10 seasons in PER, 2 top 10 in points per game um really had just like a beautiful, perfect, smooth jumper, you know, kind of comparable to Ray Allen. And it was part of some really good and interesting, you know, Suns teams in the late 70s and early 80s that uh, he was there after the finals run, but was there for, you know, some good playoff battles with the uh, Sonics and the uh, Lakers in the early 80s were, you know, what kind of one of their main foils there. And um, then went into drug rehab in uh, 85 and was part of the Suns drug scandal in 87, he actually testified against other players in grand jury testimony they ended up you know basically gutting the team and um and then sort of reforming it you know getting kevin johnson and tom chambers and it had a quick turnaround there but so uh so that obviously frayed his relationship with the organization for a while though they eventually he was inducted into the uh the team's um uh, ring of honor and you know is, is is part of the team's history now again um a, maybe not quite the level of a Hall of Famer. I mean, at his peak, certainly maybe just didn't quite have the great longevity there. It's close, but certainly was a, you know, one of the best shooting guards of his time really stands out in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, uh, another guy, Tim Hardaway, five-time All-Star, uh, 1990, played in the league from 1990 to 2003, uh, 17.7 points per game, of course, 8.2 assists per game, the real calling card of Tim Hardaway, uh, and 3.3 rebounds per game, uh, one-time All-NBA first team, three-time All-NBA second team, and one-time All-NBA third team, which I think is a remarkable kind of resume there. Uh, eight seasons, of course, in the top 10 of assists per game, because that's kind of what you would assume with Tim Hardaway, and, of course, famous for the the crossover dribble uh, and a lot of this stuff. But, yeah, he's a guy that that's you know kind of been lost to time and, And some of that is, you know, his personal doing as well with things he's said and and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that, again, um, and and probably a lot of it comes from kind of getting jerked around in the early part of his career with with Don Nelson. There was, you know, one point where, you know, everything was going well for the Warriors. Then he was, like, coming off the bench for no reason or whatever. You know, a bunch of stuff going on with with him at the beginning. But then sort of settled into a role with Miami. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Tim Hardaway is is a guy. As a five-time All-Star, I don't. I don't know if I necessarily would. I would. I don't know if I would initially think of him as that having that many All Star games. I would think you know three or something like that or or a few. But five is is a lot, and, and especially that as I mentioned, the one time All NBA first, three time All NBA second, one time All NBA third. That, that's a huge, a really great resume for a guy that I don't know if he's really put on that level.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, there, I think the problem is that there are so many great point guards that he played with, you know, during his era where he's, you know, kind of in that second or third tier of guys. You know, obviously he's behind, you know, the John Stockton's, um, Gary Payton, um, uh, you know, guys like that. You know, Jason Kidd, obviously uh, later. I mean, he's, he's more in the next class, which is still a great class to be in. And, you know, I, I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer. I, I think he's, he may even be on the ballot this year, but, um, you know he's a guy yeah i'm not sure exactly where i would place him but you know he was a and obviously after that knee injury to recover and you know be that great for miami after um dealing with that i mean that was one of the first you know serious um you know i think it was microfracture surgery that he you know came back from and was able to you know have some success doing that but it obviously took a long time to or you know he was able to kind of get there and and be a different style of player with miami as you mentioned you know the kind of the grinded out slow it down team as opposed to the you know run tmc warrior who you know very fast for speedy, you know, this is that open Don Nelson type um, offense.
2: Yeah, I think one of the parts that, that that's in, you kind of brought up there a little bit is that he's sort of stuck in this weird in between point where you know he comes in the league at 1990 and that's still Stockton's still great, and, and a bunch of other guys, even to Kevin Johnson or whatever, he's still kind of playing with. And he's out of the league by 2003. If you wonder if you know he sort of shifted that like you know five or ten years or whatever and his career was you no know, 1995 to 2010, like then yeah, then maybe you could have an idea of like because then he it would have been in the early 2000s where you know maybe people weren't at, you know the, the point guard game wasn't quite as as, as populated with guys. Or or whatever but he was just in a tough era in the 90s and it's like everybody gets i mean most players get swallowed up in the 90s because the star power of so many guys of, of, of a jordan of, of of those type of guys just swallowed everybody up so it's really hard I and mean, there are so many guys that just don't get their due because there were so many just big time guys and, and a lot of that you know it happened in the 80s too with the bird and magic as well so it, it's not like it's only the 90s where it happens but um yeah he's a particular case as well i think it just gets swallowed up by uh, just too much star power throughout the league
1: yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the guys that and I didn't realize this at the time, but a lot of the guys that I picked were all either they debuted in '77 or '78, and they played till about like '91 yeah. or, <laughs> uh, or or '92. Um, it was just right at that era where they were not part of the you know necessarily the glamour team, so they uh, didn't quite make it. And, and yeah, the last guy that I pick, um Marcus Johnson, That's a perfect uh, example. Yeah, yeah um, played from '78 to '87. He his he did make a brief brief comeback in '90 after neck surgery, um, but. Uh, uh, you know he was uh, sh- uh, shooting guard, small forward for his career. You know was at, at point sort of known as the point forward. There were a lot of guys who kind of played that role for the Bucks at different times. I mean, uh, obviously Paul Pressey and uh, and guys like that. But average for his career, twenty p- point one points per game, uh, seven rebounds per game, three point six assists per game, uh, and was part of you know those really good late seventies and really great early eighties uh, Bucks teams. Um, that I you know was able to to talk with Julius Irving about. You talked about how much respect he had for those uh, teams and, and how great they played. And he was you know sixth in MVP in 1981. He had three top eight seasons in PR, four seasons top seven in boxer plus minus, um, and. Uh, you know, he lacked the longevity, but his, his peak was absolutely great and then, you know, kind of dealt with some, you know, issues after he was traded to the Clippers, which a lot of guys uh, did. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. those years with the Bucks, he was absolutely one of the, you know, uh, uh, terrific players in the league.
2: Yeah, and I think most important of all that is that he uh, he was in White Man Can't Jump and Blue Chips, two of the sure. greatest yeah. cinematic movies ever created. So absolutely, um, yeah, no good for sure uh, yeah, about it. No, but and like the best part about that too is he plays like it's not like you know some fun. I mean, he plays just like a, in White Man Can't Jump, you know, he robs a a liquor store or whatever. I forgot exactly what he robbed, but like he he was pretty good at it too. Like so that that's kind of always a funny thing about uh, uh, Marcus Johnson as well. But yeah, he's I think a perfect example of guys just getting swallowed up by the Larry magic and then later you know swallowed up by the Michael Jordan hysteria. Area where Marcus Johnson was a great guy. And that Bucks team, you know, we talk about them all the time and we maybe talk a little bit more about them uh, this coming summer, hint, hint but uh, they're a team that, you know, was, was a budding dynasty that just couldn't get over the hump. And, and, and it's, you know, a lot of those guys, a lot of the members of that team, uh, in particular Marcus, just get lost to, to time uh, and, and just don't get their due as kind of all-time great players just because, you know, they never won a title or or, you know, they never had that big defining moment or weren't one of the marquee teams.
1: And so the last guy on this list, uh, Sean Kemp, a six-time All-Star, played from 1990 to 2003, and um, yeah, I, mean, I think he's definitely known as a wonderful dunker and an important part of those great uh, Sonics teams. Actually, played pretty well for the Cavs too once he was traded, um, and, you know, before he really got out of shape, but. Um, uh, you know, he had three top 10 seasons in PR which is 48, one t- year in the top 10 in Boxer Plus Minus, and three years on the all NBA second team. But y- yeah, I-, I think his ability to you know, be versatile and to step up in key moments. I mean, he was really the guy who stepped up a lot for the uh, Sonics in their um, finals running. He had a really great uh, finals for the uh, Sonics, the one guy that the Bulls really had a hard time in uh, dealing with. Um, but, you know, one, I think maybe the dunking, Almost mostly against him in a sense because he's just so known for that that it overshadows some of the other things that he was able to do. And then, of course, he became a joke uh, at the end of his career because of his weight and because of you know how many children he had uh, fathered as well. So that, that, that hurts him. But I mean, he absolutely was a supreme, you know, a, a, a great talent in many respects other than just, um,
2: you know, the, the the dunking, you know, throughout his career. Yeah, I think we, we need to set the record straight here on his calves run because a lot of people will, will immediately think the second he left Seattle, he was awful or whatever. He had a two really, you know, really Really solid years with the Cavs uh, before he started kind of falling apart. And even that third year when he was really getting fat, he was still solid. And, and it wasn't really until he went to Portland, he completely fell apart. And then Orlando, we, we just won't talk about the Orlando run. But uh, no. yes, yeah, Cavs numbers are uh, 18.5 points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game, 2.1 assists per game, uh, 0.122 win shares per 48. I mean, those are pretty good. You'll take that. Uh, it was just the idea that he was kind of plummeting towards mediocrity. and uh, The Cavs got out as soon as they could. And, and Portland saw what was left of, of Sean Kemp. And it was uh, it was not pretty at all. So, uh, but still, yeah, everybody regards that. Oh, the second he went to the Cavs, he was terrible. I mean, he had two really good years with the Cavs, and one particular year that was awesome. So, um, it wasn't just the Cavs. It was it was the lockout and. and Increasing mediocrity for 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 Sean Kemp. but I think you're absolutely right. I think people look at him as the donks and the highlights and all that sort of stuff, but don't really look at at, at just how good he was. And, and this is a team that we talked about as being arguably the second best team of the '90s, and a team that if they hadn't choked in the playoffs so many times earlier in the decade, we could be talking about a legit you know Western Conference dynasty of the '90s. But you know they got bounced by Denver in '94 and '92. They they lost really early as well. So there were plenty of years where they could have made longer runs, but just for whatever reason, you know it didn't work out and that might have changed the perception a little bit of of a sean kemp um gary payton was able to kind of mold his own perception after that um you know with other teams of course with with, you know miami and and a few other teams as well but kemp never really quite got that and his unfortunate legacy is, is that he was fat and got really dead really quickly so
1: So uh, I'll just go through this quick, but uh, there are some multi-time All-Stars that I had barely even heard of. And, you know, we dig pretty deep into basketball history. We've been doing this for, you know, more than two years now. So we have a... um uh, you know, you know, we've had a lot of time to delve into history, and even some of the, you know, the '50s and '60s guys, I have at least some familiarity with now. But these are guys I had barely even heard of. the The first is Don Ole. He was a five time All Star, player from '61 to 1970. His nickname was Waxy because of his crew cut, and. Um, <laughs> He was a guard. Good nicknames anymore.
2: We just do not waxy. have good nicknames anymore.
1: Waxy. We'll have to see who would be the most likely waxy in the uh, in the league. We'll have to think of uh, who that might be. But we've got
2: a crew cut. <laughs> yeah. Eh, it's a tough one. But it's hard, yeah. It's harder to find his crew cuts these yeah, days. And, and,
1: and he played most of his career with the Pistons and Bullets, who were generally not good teams. Uh, the, the one thing that stands out about him is he averaged uh, 26.1 points per game in the 65 playoffs uh, playing against the uh, Hawks and the uh, Lakers. Generally, uh, general was known for playing tough defensive odds like Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and Sam Jones, but... Um, you know, didn't really have any like all NBA honors or anything like that, but was just kind of a, a good solid guard who, you know, managed to parlay that into five all star appearances. So uh, another guy, similar vein, Dick Garmaker, who played from 56 to 61 for the mostly for the Minneapolis Lakers. Uh, he did have one all NBA second um, team appearance, and uh, he was also famously part of the uh, Lakers plane crash in 1960 that uh, where the, the team, I think we've talked about this previously in the podcast, mm-hmm. but the team, you know, uh, basically crash landed in a cornfield in iowa and obviously everyone was afraid of um you know of, of, of being hurt and dying they had lost you know a power and and uh, so forth everyone ended up being fine on the plane but it was certainly a frightening moment for everybody and uh hot rod Huntley, this is from a new york post story in 2009 um said that uh, Garmaker, an off-season insurance agent sold teammates policies during the flight and then <laughs> Garmaker said i wish i were that clever and then he said it's not true but please leave it in don't take that part out so (laughs) that was a good one and um last mel hutchins who's a four-time all-star from 52 to 58 he played for the milwaukee hawks before they went to st louis the fort wayne pistons and the knicks he was actually fourth in mvp voting in 1956 three time was in the uh, top 10 in rebounds um and he helped lead the Pistons to the finals in 55-56 along with uh, Larry Faust, as we mentioned. His career ended early uh, with a knee injury. The most interesting thing about him is that he's actually the brother of the nineteen fifty two Miss America winner. Her name was uh, Colleen K. Hutchins, and she later married Ernie Vandewey, played for the Knicks, and who and is is the you know and Mel Hutchins is the uncle of Ernie's son Kiki
2: Vandewey. So, well, there you go. Wow, fun fact right there. Yeah. <laughs> For you know the old game Six Degrees of Colleen Hutchins here you can get to Kiki Vandewey pretty quickly. That's, that's Yes, good to know. exactly.
1: Well, yeah, well I, yeah, not too hard, but <laughs>
2: exactly, yes. So, but that's the game that everybody plays. It's like all right, fine. You got to get from Colleen Hutchins to Kiki Vandewey, and yes, and you've it, proven that it's not that hard to do right, that. Right? So. Yes, pretty easy. Yeah, just, just, just. <laughs> there you
1: go. Uh, that's a good game, Riches. So. I play it all uh, the time. It's, it's great. Yeah, so, it's good. You know. Well, I'm, I'm we'll have to keep that one in mind. All right. <laughs> uh say <laughs> anything else rich that is all
2: so all right well hopefully I got everyone left
1: all right hopefully everyone enjoys our uh, little look at the overlooked all-stars here if you staunchly agree or disagree with us you can find us on social media at uh, twitter and facebook at over and back nba uh of course we are at um we are at the step back at com. you can uh find us all of our podcasts there you can also uh find us um by, um, how else can we be found? Rich, I'm forgetting where we can be found. whatever uh, right iTunes, oh, oh, iTunes, Stitcher, tune yes, in, All those go. good things. Yeah. it's been a long
2: day, right? So, I, yeah, so, you, you have an excuse. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it.
1: Uh, all those good things you can find us uh, there. Um, so, uh, search for us there. Uh, like us on, um, like us on iTunes. Uh, give us a comment and rating. Uh, I'm gonna say goodbye now before I <laughs> <end up laughs> further. So, uh, hopefully you keep listening and have a good one. Bye, Jason. <laughs>